Well, hello, and uh, welcome to something brand new. This is a, an interesting little venture we're going to give a try, and hopefully you like it, and hopefully we do more and have a whole lot of fun doing it. It's called MIZ History, a brand new Mizzou podcast that is a little different from some of the other Mizzou podcasts out there. Uh, instead of talking about current stuff, we're going to talk about some of the greatest moments, players, games, seasons, you name it from the last 20 or 30 years of uh, Mizzou Athletics history. And why the last 20 or 30 years? Because we've got somebody uh, on this show who has seen it all over the last two or three decades. Uh, my name's Ben Arnett. I'm the sports director at KMU8, by the way, in, in case you didn't read the description in this. But uh, the co-host of this show is somebody who has seen it all over the last 25-plus years, Chad Moeller, who was uh, involved in sports information, media relations, public relations, whatever you want to call it for some of the greatest moments in uh, Mizzou athletics history, including the entirety of Gary Pinkle's uh, historic 15-year run. And, and Chad has, he was there, he was in the locker room, he was in the practices, he was all the places that most of us weren't <laughs> for the last uh, couple decades. And, and he's ready to share some of his knowledge and, and inside info from, from some of these great moments. Chad, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're, you're, you're doing this. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, Ben, thanks for having me. I was really excited when you uh, approached me with the idea. I think we can, uh, as you say, have a lot of fun with it. There's a, a lot of great things to go back and and remember and talk about and try and relive uh, in a fun way with Mizzou fans out there. So I'm very much looking forward to it. Something we really want to do with this show is, is really lay the groundwork and, and the backstory. This is going to be a deep dive, as I mentioned, on like one thing every single week. And we want to give people the context some of our listeners have weren't maybe old enough to remember a, a game like the one we're <laughs> going to talk about today, or or maybe they're 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 so old like Chad and, and myself have forgotten some of it. But uh, it's it's just fun to go back and, and relive this stuff and, and really do a deep dive in, into these. And for our first show, I, I thought this was a perfect game. It's Mizzou Nebraska football 2003, and why this game? Well, you know, it not only broke a 25 year losing streak for Missouri against Nebraska, but you know, Chad, for, for me, growing up a Mizzou fan, Nebraska was always Mizzou's second biggest rival. I mean, Kansas is number one. That's indisputable. But for a lot of people, uh, you know, around my age and older, when you're talking about the second biggest game of the year for Mizzou, even when they were losing all those years, it was Nebraska. Yeah, and I actually have a kind of a unique perspective to add to that because i don't hold this against me, Mizzou fans. A lot of you know, I grew up in Lincoln, Nebraska. So, you know, you have no other choice but to be a Husker fan growing up. And I was actually in the stands in 1978 when Mizzou came to Lincoln and upset uh, the Huskers the week after they had beaten Oklahoma for the first time in forever under Tom Osborne. So, um, but I can tell you back in that day, the game after Oklahoma that most Nebraska fans feared was Missouri uh, because the Tigers, for some reason, under, you know, Dan Devine and Al Onofrio and Warren Powers just gave Nebraska fits. And uh, so anyway, um, yeah, there's no doubt that that this game was a huge step, uh, you know, kind of a watershed moment for a young program that uh, Gary Pinkle was trying to develop. And, and, and this game, I think, is a great way for us to start digging into and kind of getting into the backstory. It's, it's a very significant one, no doubt. The big story about this game is not only, as, as you mentioned, this is, this is the win for Gary Pinkle in year number 
three building his program where a lot of people looked up and said, oh, man, this thing's for real. He's going to get this done. But -hmm. it's that 25-year losing streak to Nebraska. You mentioned it. You were there in 1978. It was an upset. Missouri hung their hat on the 70s on always having a win or two like this every year. And in 1978 alone, Missouri plays number five Notre Dame, number one Alabama, number one Oklahoma, who you mentioned, and number two Nebraska. And Mizzou splits those four games. It's insane in 2022 mindset that you would have a schedule like that, but that you would play four top five opponents and split. What a job Mizzou did in the 70s. Unbelievable. Yeah, was kind of the program was uh, kind of unofficially known as giant killers. And, and that was the, the thing when you go back and look at, at a coach like Al on a Frio, um, he just had some incredible wins that you could really hang your hat on and build a program around. But then they just had trouble with, you know, playing down to the level of the next opponent. And, you know, a, a, a less accomplished team would come into Columbia and, and pull out a win and kind of deflate the whole process. But uh, yeah, for the longest time, Mizzou was known. And even if I remember right, Tom Osborne himself called Missouri a sleeping giant uh, at one point in the 80s. And, uh, you know, that's that's what uh, Coach Pinkle and his staff tried to to uh, to get going. And, and again, this game, I think, is uh, emblematic of that. 1978, Mizzou wins that game. Nebraska's ranked second. It's 35-31. This game is actually on YouTube if you want to go back and, and, and look at it. It's a crazy back-and-forth game. You got Phil Bradley throwing touchdowns to Kellen Winslow. This is the game um, where uh, Missouri and uh, – why am I blanking on his on his name right now? Um, uh, the running back just throws down the Nebraska linebacker. James Wilder. Line. James Wilder. Yeah, I, can't yeah. believe I forgot that. James uh-huh. Wilder just throws the Nebraska linebacker down at the goal line. Tigers hold on with a late stop for the 35-31 win. But that that's the last one before 2003. Uh, it's competitive until about the mid-'80s. But 1986 is where this thing really gets bad for Missouri, and it just becomes mm-hmm. an annual butt-kicking. It's 48-17 and 86, 42-7 and 87, 50-7 and 89. Six, 90 is where it gets rough, 69-21. Missouri fans know we're, we're, we're rolling from Onofrio to Widenhofer into Stull, and, and things get really bad as the Tigers string together 13 straight losing seasons and the Nebraska game becomes an annual four five, six touchdown loss. 1996, they lose 51 to seven, but this is the year that Corby Jones is leading the offense. Missouri goes five and six, and it's their first anywhere close to 500 season since 1984. And you can kind of feel things turning around. And in 97, we won't go too into this. If you're a Missouri fan, you probably know what I'm talking about here. It's the flea kicker game. Missouri leads much of the way, but late in the fourth quarter, Scott Frost has his tap, uh, his pass kicked up into the air by Shevin Wiggins, and Matt Davison dives in and catches it just before it hits the turf in the uh, supposedly cursed north end zone. Uh, <laughs> Nebraska ties it. They catch their second win in overtime, and they win the game. But that game is a, is a moral victory for Missouri and the closest they've been to Nebraska in ages. Chad, were you on the field or in the press box for that one? I was in section GG. Yeah, I was up in the press box for that one. Um, and, yeah, it was just – that was a special night. You could just feel in the crowd and the way the game went back and forth, like you said, that it was going to be uh, something that came down to the wire. And, you know, it's one of those games where Mizzou felt like 
we had it won a couple times. Nebraska felt like they had it won a couple times, and the other team just comes scratching back. And and yeah, that, I mean, I know the end result is still painful to to think about from Mizzou fans, but uh, you know, I, Larry Smith's program earned a, a measure of respect that night. There's no doubt about it. As Larry said afterwards, one stinking play, and then the, <laughs> the next year it's it's yep. one it's yep. one stinking play again. I mean, Missouri is, is ranked. 19th this time Nebraska's number seven it's worth mentioning Nebraska is like the class of college football during this entire string they're winning national championships they're scaring people quite frankly in the way they're winning some of these games uh during the uh the Tom Osborne era of the 90s and even stretching back to the 70s and 80s uh Missouri goes on the road they play by far their their best game in in Lincoln in years they're down 20 to 13 this time it's Missouri trying to come back late in the fourth quarter but a Corby Jones pass for a young receiver named John Dosman sails through Dosman's hands and Nebraska holds on to win 20 to 13. But you can feel this thing kind of shifting. And that's what takes us to 1999. And this is kind of the story of the program at that time, Chad. Larry Smith and his staff, they get it turned around. They break the 13 straight losing seasons. The measuring stick of Nebraska, they're right there. They're close. But then Corby Jones and Devin West and a lot of other guys graduate and leave the program. Missouri's not able to rebuild successfully in 99, and we return to the blowouts. Nebraska wins 40-10, to 10, and I'll never forget Mizzou's All-American center, Rob Reedy. This is one of the first games that I covered as a, as a reporter and was in the postgame afterwards. And Rob Reedy fighting back tears because of the realization that, as he said it, and I'm paraphrasing here, but essentially – we thought we were past days like this and Nebraska mm -hmm. just showed us that we're not. And that was kind of the story of what's happening with the program in 99 and 2000. Yeah, it, it's a, it's an unfortunate uh, cycle when it happens, you know, everywhere all over the country, uh, you know, you you build a program from scratch and you get it to a certain level. You just can't take that next step. And it, it's so hard. You know, every coach will tell you, and this is one of, of Gary Pinkle's uh, tried and true sayings, winning is hard. And, uh, you know, you can figure it out to a certain degree, uh, but then you kind of have to, um, you know, have some good fortune along the way too. And that that, that plays a, a little bit of a role. But, uh, but yeah, I, I clearly remember that post game with Rob and, uh, and, you know, the emotions that he displayed and, uh, the sentiment that in, and it was, it was true. And I think the fan base felt that too. So it was, you know, it was a little deflating to know that you, you pulled up to at least feeling like you're equal with the cream of the crop, but then you took a pretty steep step backwards. So, um, you know, that was, again, that's part of a building a program and, and why it's so hard to win consistently. Larry and, uh, and the, and the staff, they're not able to pull the nose up. Mizzou goes three and eight in 2000. And we mentioned all this because you can't talk about Mizzou, Nebraska, 2003 without talking about two people, Gary Pinkle and Brad Smith, and how they arrived at Mizzou and end up rebuilding this thing in the wake of the 2000 season. Um, you know, things looked like the tide were turning, as, as Chad mentioned, but, but Larry Smith uh, gets fired after the 2000 season when they go 3-8, and eight, and they have to go out and find a new head coach, and that's Gary Pinkle. Chad, do you remember how early in this coaching search to replace Larry do you think Mike Alden identified GP as the guy? 
Uh, if, as I remember, it was pretty early in the process. Uh, so something that takes place behind the scenes in that type of situation. Um, so Mike came to me, um, you know, before the decision to let Coach Smith go was announced and said, hey, here's what we're going to do. We need your help coming up with uh, a bunch of background information on potential candidates. And there were probably 10 or 12 candidates that I did as deep a dive as I could back in the day. You know, the internet wasn't uh, what it is now back then in uh, 2000, but still you're able to put together a, a pretty good packet, a dossier, if you will, on about 10 to 12 people. And Gary was obviously one of those. And, and um, you know, Mike can uh, speak to the whole process, obviously better than me, but he was definitely one of the top targets from the get-go. He was the all-time winningest coach at Toledo, 73 victories, a 10-win season in 2000. So he was a guy that a lot of programs were looking at back then. Missouri names Gary Pinkle its new head coach on November 30th, 2000. And so we're in pre-early signing period times. National Signing Day is still the first week in February. And Gary Pinkle essentially has two months to put together his first signing class. Missouri's been struggling at the quarterback position for the last four years at this point after the graduation of Corby Jones. How fast did Gary Pinkle identify Brad Smith as somebody that he needed to bring into his program? Well, they were recruiting Brad to go to Toledo. Um, so they had that prior relationship. And I think there was a bit of a trust level between Brad and Coach Pinkle and his staff. Um, you know, and I know Brad would have been excited to play at Toledo had it worked out that way because he's from Ohio, um, not too far away from Youngstown. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, what they saw in Brad was kind of indicative of, of that staff's recruiting approach. You know, um, they really believed in the program and that they could get guys in and develop them and, you know, taking a chance on, lesser valued recruits maybe than other higher profile programs would want to take a chance on. And they just believed that Brad was a guy that once they got him in the program, got him developed strength and conditioning, you know, faster, bigger, stronger, that kind of thing, and give him time to learn the system, the style of play, get comfort level. And when it was his time, they, they really felt they had something special. And, and obviously uh, they were right, thankfully. So on signing day, is it, high fives all around or is he still under the radar even for for the coaching staff on that day in February I think the coaching staff knew what they had um, externally you know there weren't banner headlines written about Brad Smith signing with Nebraska nope, nobody or knew. nobody no, knew. With, with Missouri I should <laughs> say uh, and yeah I mean you don't know what you don't know and and that was kind of fun you know, the first year when Brad redshirted in 2001, uh, Gary's first season, it was fun seeing him in practice on the scout team, uh, you know, giving the number one defense fits. Uh, not all the time. You know, he, he looked like a, a rookie quarterback, but there were times where you just looked at him and go, wow, I can't wait to see that in a game. We'll uh, we'll talk much much more about Brad Smith on this show. You can you can be sure he's he's the linchpin <laughs> of everything. As Gary Pinkle once said, "quote We needed an impact player, somebody to kind of hang our hat on." And the good Lord gave me Brad Smith. <laughs> so that's what Gary Pinkle thought of Brad. As you right. mentioned, Brad redshirts in 01. Again, rewind your brain. Twenty years redshirting is still a thing back in two thousand one, 
and Brad's on the scout team. Eventually, he wins a quarterback race uh, with Kirk Farmer and Darius Outlaw, who ends up uh, converting to wide receiver. Keep that in the back of your mind. That's mm-hmm. going to come up again in this show. Foreshadowing. Uh, exactly. Uh, Brad starts the 0-2 season. He's a bolt of lightning in the program in that 0-2 opener against Illinois uh, and has another big game and a near upset of Oklahoma, who was ranked in the top 10 at that time in, in 0-2. Missouri goes 5-6 and six in 0-2. It's a step forward for the program. It kind of feels like that 96 into 97. So you're getting that sort of feeling where fans going into 03 are feeling like, okay, this program is there. It's set. This should be a, a winning season and, and back to a bowl game for the first time in five years. And, and Missouri starts 4-0 in 03 for the first time since 1981. They beat Illinois for a second straight year in the Dome. They win at Ball State 35-7, and uh, at this point, I'm traveling with the team every single week as the reporter and associate producer for Gary Pinkle's TV show this week in Mizzou football. This Ball State game, this is the Brad gets the concussion and Sonny Riccio mm-hmm. comes in to finish that one off, which which was huge for that team because, I mean, Brad was such a big part of the offense. All of a sudden, he goes down, and it's a big – I mean, we were both there that day in, in Muncie. That was a, uh-oh, what's going to happen now? Right. Yeah, no question about it. Uh, and again, that's a name that will play into uh, <laughs> play a big role in uh, further discussion of the 2003 game against Nebraska. But yeah, Sonny did a great job filling in for Brad. Um, and I think that probably gave the coaches a little bit of confidence that, hey, if, if we have to, um, you know, if we can't go with Brad for whatever reason, we have a guy that can help us get the job done. Tigers shut out Eastern Illinois 37-0. Then they have a close game against uh, Middle Tennessee State. They're, they're ranked number 23, so the nation's starting to, to notice Mizzou. They win by a point in overtime, and, and this is a big Brad Smith game. He rushes for 136 yards. Zach Abram, by the way, who's another important part of this 0-2-0-3 run where they get the program turned back around, he has 138 yards. And Smith throws a game-tying touchdown pass to the aforementioned Darius Outlaw, who has converted to wide receiver in the last year with a minute 17 to go. That forces OT, and then Brad has uh, the game-winning touchdown uh, in in overtime. Um, He said afterwards he loved having the ball in his hands in crunch time. This is where we start to see, and we saw the year before in 0-2, especially against Oklahoma, Brad's rising to the occasion. Yeah, Brad, he was one of those guys, um, just getting onto a specific topic of, uh, he was one of those guys that never got caught from behind, but yet he was never the fastest guy on the team. Um, you know, I don't even know what he he would have clocked in the 40-yard dash, but he, you know, you never looked at him thinking, boy, that guy is just a blazer, right? But yet, Tell me how many times you remember him getting caught from behind when he'd get into the open. It just didn't happen. And and somehow he was faster with his game, with his jersey and his pads on, it seemed like. But, uh, you know, and, and I'm not trying to say, you know, related to practice that he wasn't a good practice guy. He was. He worked his tail off. And, and the example he put out there for everybody on the team, whether it was, you know, in the weight room, on the practice field, uh, schoolwork. Uh, and just the kind of person he was, um, you know, he was a guy that people got behind and he, they followed him. That's for sure. Uh, Missouri loses the next week. They're, they're still ranked in the top 25 and they get a, a sobering reality check. I guess you'd say they go to Kansas and lose 35, 14. They're outscored 22 to nothing in the fourth quarter. 
So it's interesting the way that's going to flip heading into this this 03 Nebraska game. So the Tigers are four and one uh, heading into October 11th, 2003. Here we go. It's the game is here. It's a full house. Again, that that feeling going into the season of it's time for this team to break out. They're going to do it this year is is really just permeates the building. Um, this game was nationally televised. This is fun. You remember what network this game was on, Chad? Yeah, it was. It was on TBS back <laughs> in the day. It was uh, Ron Thulin did the uh, color, um, and Charles Davis, I believe, was the or, or Ron Thulin did the play by play. Charles Davis did the uh, uh, analysis. Uh, and I'm totally blanking. Craig uh, Sager, I think, Craig was Sager. The, I believe yes. he was the sideline guy. So that was uh, that was a fun crew. He was. This is this weird era. It only lasted four years. TBS televised Big 12 and Pac-10 games. They called it Big PlayStation Saturday. There and you Missouri, go. <laughs> Missouri ends up. It was really strange because Turner had been doing basketball for all these years and doing the NBA, and then they get this college football contract for this really brief window, but they used all the same people. And like you were saying, Sager's on the sideline. Ernie Johnson's doing halftime reports in the right. game and post game. Right. It was strange. It would be like if all of a sudden, like uh, without doing any college basketball all season long, Charles Barkley started breaking down games in March. Oh, wait, that's what they do. Uh, <laughs> so Sager's the sideline reporter. Um, yep. And uh, you're, are you field or press box for this game? A uh, combination of both. Uh, at that time, I'd start in the press box, go down to the field, like around halftime to help with the, the interviews and that kind of thing. And then head back up to the press box for a third quarter, go back down to the field for the rest of the game. So a little I'm, bit of both. I'm field for this game. I'm uh, shooting the game for this week in Mizzou football. And we actually pre-planning ahead was told to dress appropriately in case we need to do post-game interviews. If Mizzou does this and breaks the curse. <laughs> and so I show up dressed appropriately and it starts raining in the middle of the first quarter. And I end up looking like garbage at the end, but as we'll get to, thankfully we had a reason to do some <laughs> interviews for the show afterwards. Uh, it's sold out 68,000 plus doesn't start real good. The rain hasn't set in yet. It's a little bit uh, – Missouri gets a wet football in the first possession. Brad Smith throws an interception, and Nebraska cashes right in. Jamal Lord, they've got a pretty good dual-threat quarterback for this team as well. Uh, he finds Mark uh, LaFleur on a screen, who he goes down the field for about 50 yards. It's 7 nothing in 40 seconds, and all of a sudden it's pretty deflated in there. I mean, that that was not what that crowd was expecting right out of the gate. Yeah, and as you said, it was a it was a sellout. It was the first sellout at uh, Faro Field for Mizzou in at least four seasons, if I remember right. Uh, we had brought temporary bleachers mm -hmm. in the north end zone behind the goalpost there, um, and you know, especially coming off of a bye week, which was preceded by a, a deflating loss to you know our rival to the west. Um, you know, it was an impressive crowd, and, and like you said, I think people were just um, they were thirsty to see. The program take this next step you know and coach pinkle talked to the team about it he he addressed the team that week and, and he addressed the history between mizzou and nebraska um because he always felt like listen they're, they're men they need to know the truth so you can at least just address it and be aware of it and then it becomes about us um you know he he talked about um the opportunity that this team had on national tv it was going to be in front of a sold out crowd frothing at the mouth, you know, this is your chance to show we can compete with anybody. You can earn respect. Um, and he wanted them to play free, you know, know the plan so that when you're out there, you can play instinctively and you're not 
you know, um, you're not thinking about things too much. And, you know, as, as we'll talk about, the coaches back that up by trusting the team and having an aggressive mindset with the play calling and, and, the, and the strategies that night. So, um, you know, I don't remember where I started with that point, but uh, we were talking about the, the atmosphere and everyone, everyone was just ready to go. It was turned up. Jamal Lord, decent quarterback for Nebraska. This was interesting. And you can watch this game. I mean, the, uh, for my research, I went back and rewatched uh, that episode of This Week in Mizzou Football. And uh, that's on YouTube also on the Mizzou Athletics YouTube channel. But the weirdest thing watching Nebraska, it's 2003. They're still running the option. I mean, they're just mm. old school 1980s college football option offense, which was kind of fun and, and interesting to watch. Um, Mizzou comes right back. Uh, less than two and a half minutes later, the rain has started. Nebraska fumbles a punt, and turnovers would be a key to this game. Uh, Missouri Missouri recovers on the six, and Zach Abram takes it in. He carries like three or four Huskers into the goal line to make it 7-7. Mm -hmm. And then Nebraska fumbles the ensuing kickoff, and it's interesting. Pinkle mentioned on, the, on his TV show that week, that was designed. They thought that Nebraska had a little bit suspect punt and kick return, and so they intentionally blooped this to create a turnover. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, we might get into this a little bit more, too, as, as we go through the discussion here. But having a bye week, uh, and I've talked to Dave Christensen, the uh, offensive coordinator from that team, having the bye week was really instrumental in this specific game. Um, it gave the coaches a chance to do a lot of scouting, a lot more scouting work than they have time Um you know, during the course of a, a standard week where you're going off a game Saturday and a game the next Saturday. So having that bye week was crucial for them to find weaknesses in the Nebraska team like this, like you were talking about on the kickoff. And then they also used that to exploit uh, the Nebraska defense and the Nebraska special teams with a couple of plays that we'll talk about shortly. But uh, yeah, having that bye week was, was, was instrumental in this win coming together the way it did. We'll talk about it right now because after Brad Smith uh, throws an interception, he gets over his early struggles. Second quarter, this play turns the tide. It's the Darius Outlaw pass out to the edge. He Remember, he's a converted quarterback playing wide receiver now. He catches the screen on the edge and throws all the way back to the opposite sideline to Brad Smith, who's wide open and has a wall of blockers. He goes down the sideline. It's pouring rain at this point. Mm. And hilariously running into the south end zone <laughs> is the Mizzou men's basketball team waiting to be introduced like at the next commercial break. And you see you see Trayvon Bryant like <laughs> with, a, with a towel, waving a towel in the air. And they're dapping up Brad Smith like you wouldn't believe. Uh, and this gives Mizzou its four, first lead, 14-7. You remember what this play is, was called? We all know that the uh, the, the the trick play at, at Georgia in 2013 was Colt 45. Does this play right. have a name? It does, and I didn't remember to to track that down, so I'm sorry I don't have that. But uh, I, I do know that this specific play was put in uh, during the bye week, talking to Coach Christensen recently about that. Um, you know, they felt like Nebraska, you know, Nebraska came into this game. It was a young season still only what four or five games in, but they were the nation's number one ranked defense, I think in both points allowed and yards allowed. Uh, and they had a lot of team speed and the way they pursued to the ball was something that the coaches felt like they could exploit, um, with a play like this. So they wanted to run, you know, they, they felt Nebraska would chase the bubble, which is what the play initially showed to that defense. You threw the screen out to Darius. 
Um, and, you know, who knows how much Nebraska remembered him being a quarterback. I'm sure they probably did and told their guys to be aware of it. But anyway, you know, that's the play is designed to throw it to a former quarterback who can throw the ball himself. Um, and it's something that uh, uh, Coach Christensen said they wanted to run. They were ready to run it. It was on his play sheet once they got past the 50-yard line so that they had a little bit of, uh, of space to work with, but it also needed to be on the left hash, you know, because as you know, the, the screen was thrown to the right side for Darius uh, to create a bunch of space. And, you know, theoretically, if Brad was covered, then he would just tuck it and run. Um, but uh, thankfully, the play worked out the way it worked. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's really cool for a staff to – design something specifically for a game you know you don't get to practice it that much during the course of the week it's it's a trick play basically you know you can't spend a ton of time on it you got to focus on other things but they ran it a few times in practice liked it enough felt it could work in the right situation they got that situation and they executed it and yeah it's fun when you watch that highlight the only guys in brad's way are his own guys he had to <laughs> weave through our own offensive line running 20 30 yards downfield it was uh and he's jumping over Nebraska guys who had been knocked to the ground. It's it, it was fun. I was I was gonna say the only the only people in in white and red that he he was like hopping over them because they were on the ground. It was it yeah. was perfectly executed, and that's really cool insight. And I mean, people they they think you know I think the average fan thinks like just call the play, run it. But no, there's right. like there's almost like a checklist, especially for a play like that. Of you know it's not just, Oh, let's see if this works right now. It's, it's a whole lot of, if this, then that, when it comes to play right. calling, I, right. I think right there. Um, so Missouri has a 14, 10 lead at the half. Now the third quarter is all Nebraska. They, they're really controlling things. Jamal Lord is running this slow it down option offense. He, he uh, leads them to a 17, 14 lead. Um, and then he scores a 35 yard touchdown to make it 24, 14. And I just like, as I'm re-watching this the other day, it just keeps coming back to me. I can't believe they're still running the old school, just straight up <laughs> Turner Gill, Tommy Frazier, Scott mm. Frost option offense. But, hey, they're doing it in 2003, and at this point it's working. Um, last minute of the third quarter, here, here, here you go again. Missouri's down by 10. On the ensuing kickoff after that Lord touchdown that made it 24-14, you never see this anymore. Missouri runs a fake on a kick return. It's a reverse to Brad Ekwerekwu. He goes to the 45 to set them up with good field position. I'm sure another, hey, if we see this, then we'll do that kind of situation. But also, Gary Pinkle always seemed to have a knack for, hey, we need a spark. Let's do this here. And that's what this kind of felt like to me. Yeah, I think he trusted his gut quite a bit. And, you know, your, your gut can get you in trouble in, in uh, any walk of life. But uh, I, I think uh, you have to give him credit for pushing the right buttons way more often than not. Uh, and he always joked that, hey, if you run a play like that and it works, you're a genius. And if you don't, you're an idiot. So uh, thankfully, that one worked as well as, as another play we're going to talk about coming up soon. Yeah, uh, many, many a, a press conference quote to that end from uh, from Gary Pinkle over the years. If you get it right great if not everyone hates you uh fourth quarter is where this thing turns the the, the that reverse to Ekwerekwu to set them up on their own 45 in good field position that ends essentially ends the third quarter start of the fourth quarter it's the first play Brad Smith keeps it for a 40-yard touchdown this is one of those plays you were talking about where 
Brad had that second gear. I mean, he wasn't mm. going to wow you, but when he got that space and you, he knew he had a chance to get gone, I mean, he would kick it into the next level, wouldn't he? Yeah, and I think he was just really instinctive with, uh, with seeing a hole, hitting it, and uh, I don't know if it's understanding angles or what, but like you say, he wasn't the fastest guy, but he'd get to the spot where he felt like he wasn't going to be touched. And yeah, this is, you know, this is a huge momentum play because like you said, Nebraska pretty much owned the third quarter. Things went flat. You just were wondering, man, is this going to happen or not? And then you had that play, that explosion play there um, to really juice the crowd up one more time. And it got everybody believing again. And, and I think that, uh, you know, played a huge role because as you talked about, we outscored Nebraska 27, nothing all told in that fourth quarter. And, and it wasn't just the offense. It was the defense that played a huge role. And we'll definitely get to that. Here's the interesting thing watching, especially that play. And, and Brad did this all the time. And this is interesting compared to, we were just talking about how archaic almost for 2003, the Nebraska offense is, is looking in this game. Missouri, meanwhile, they have this play like this one with Brad Smith that you mentioned that he made so effective. It almost looks like a modern day read option. I mean, he's back there in the shotgun. He's taking it. You're almost sort of seeing like the, the first versions of that, that mesh point that is talked about so much nowadays with, with read mm -hmm. option offenses. And he just, I don't know how many of these were designed runs for him where that's all a diversion or is, is he is he doing some decision making in in those plays or or are these all design runs that just kind of because teams haven't seen the spread or or a read option at this point in two thousand three it's just a simple fake or is Brad making decisions here? Most of those were design runs for Brad. Um, we really didn't get into the spread, um, you know, the the read option spread so much until. Um, Brad's senior year really is when it was installed after 2004. Um, and then, you know, a guy like Chase Daniel who ran that offense all his life growing up uh, just was a perfect fit, obviously. And, and I know we'll address that in maybe future episodes, but um, yeah, this, this was a design run and, you know, Brad was um, such a weapon back there. Somebody that uh, made the defenses sweat every single play because they knew they had to account for him. And then, oh, by the way, you had a great offensive line leading the way and a punishing running back, you know, in Zach Abron. And, um, you know, it was just uh, – it was too much for Nebraska that night. People forget, but Zach Abron at one point, it was only for about a year and a half or so, was the all-time leading rusher in, yeah. in Mizzou history. <laughs> yeah, you... congratulations, Zach. Uh, here's Brad to, to <laughs> right. kill your records the next time around. But, yeah, uh, no, he, I, he was very underrated, if you ask me. Zach was a guy – who just bowled people over. He was just, he was a bull in a China shop and, you know, he never dropped the ball was always going to get you tough yards. He was, he was fun to watch. But you know, who did drop the ball? That's uh, Jamal Lord on the next drive. Mm -hmm. James Kenny sacks Lord. Dietrich Harrington recovers. It gives Mizzou a short field and a chance to regain the lead. And this is, this is where Faroe field, comes unglued the rain has stopped it hasn't been raining for a while everyone's dried off they're into it they can feel the momentum turning this was a momentum play if i've ever seen one yeah so the the series where the defense comes up with the the, the big turnover tigers are down three what was this about mid fourth quarter 10 mm -hmm. minutes left yep. maybe something like that game hangs in the balance 
the Tigers offensive series actually went backward three plays. We lost four or five yards and, and that's deflating, right? And you're thinking, okay, here out comes the field goal unit, which everybody knew you had to take the points, tie the game and see what happens the rest of the way. Well, again, uh, the coaches just felt like this was going to going to be a rare opportunity. If we were in this game at the end, we aren't going to leave anything out there. We're going to throw it all out and use everything they could. And, and the fake field goal that we're talking about, uh, again, was installed specifically that week uh, because the coaches looked at uh, video and they felt they saw a potential weakness in the Nebraska field goal block unit. They felt like, um, you know, they on occasion, not, not that they took plays off, but that they weren't, uh, they, they could be susceptible to a fake. Um, and so, you know, they, again, put this in practice uh, the week before, ran it a few times, like what they saw. You had a backup quarterback that we talked about earlier, Sonny Riccio, who was the normal holder. So that wouldn't raise any alarms for Nebraska when they saw him come out there. You know, if you brought Brad Smith out as the holder, obviously that's going to be a giveaway that something's going on. But Something might be up here. What What is 16 doing on the field? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so Sonny, number 19, I believe, if I remember right, um, you know, took the snap. Uh, Matheny, the kicker, faked the kick. Sonny rolls out to the right, lofts a pass into the end zone, into Victor Cisse's uh, awaiting arms, and all of a sudden Mizzou just did something that nobody expected. You know, the the guts it, it it takes to make that kind of a call because, again, if it doesn't work, holy cow, what happens the rest of the way, you know? Uh, the the call from Tiger Radio analyst John Cadillac is iconic. Cisse, Cisse, Bobon, Cisse, what a play. Apparently, Caddy thought that Victor was French. I don't know. But it's <laughs> it's one of the all time great calls from John Cadillac. Um, GP said on on his show that week that Bruce Walker designed that play. Uh, did did he do a lot of that? I mean, we remember Bruce as uh, the offensive line coach, and he had a, a large hand in special teams for fifteen years or, or so. Uh, did did he design a lot of uh, a lot of the gadget stuff on special teams? Yeah, from a special team standpoint, everybody had different responsibilities, and uh, Bruce was the, um, you know, the architect of that play, if you will. I mean, everybody had input in it, I know, but uh, yeah, that was one of his roles was uh, the field goal protect, and, uh, you know, again, watching film, that's one of your jobs during the week or during the bye week as well. You know, where can you find weaknesses? Are there things to exploit? And uh, credit to him and and the people around him for seeing something they thought that they could take advantage of. And, and again, as we talked about uh, from a strategy standpoint, um, I, you know, I don't think anybody was expecting that the, the guts it took to make that call, knowing that if it didn't work, there were possible ramifications uh, and they needed the ball in that instance to be on the right hash for that play to work like it did. And again, it, it just, it worked out. That was the situation it's on the call sheet. They were convinced it was going to work, and and thankfully it did. And it still took a really good pass because I think Nebraska was fooled initially, but then there were two two Husker defenders that were trying to close in on Victor as the pass came to him um, near that right uh, boundary. Uh, and Victor made a tough catch. I mean, it wasn't maybe uh, there weren't people draped all over him, but there were two guys there. And again, like you say, it had been raining, but thankfully it wasn't at that time. And I wonder if it had still been raining – do you make that call knowing a ball can slip out of the quarterback's hands? A ball can go through somebody's hands so easily if it's wet. Um, but, you know, it turned out the way it did. And and thankfully for the Tigers, it was uh, kind of the 
um, I don't know, the the breaking point in the game because it was all Tigers after that. Um, how much are they practicing this during the week? Is this something they're doing every day or are they just, hey, let's do two or three run throughs and if if we need it, we got it? Yeah, typically that's something that is, once you create the play and know it's something you want to try and use, um, you know, you, you break it out in practice pretty early in the process and you run it maybe a couple of times and you have to make a decision from there. Okay, we like this. Let's keep it. Let's continue to work on it. Or, you know what, we don't have the guys to run this or it's just not the 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 scheme that that's going to work in this instance. So, um, yeah, so during the week, you put it in, you like it, you keep coming back to it, and, and you're going to run it every day in practice. Again, it's a trick play. It's special teams. Uh, you can't devote that much time to it, but it's something that, uh, that they would get to uh, at least once or twice every day going up. Things really start rolling downhill for Missouri at this point on the next drive. This is the, the Brad Smith stiff arm touchdown. It's a little design rollout <laughs> to the near side. Uh, he's one-on-one with a linebacker and just shoves him to the ground and scores his third touchdown of the night to put Missouri up by 10. As GP said on his show that week, uh, you've only got one guy out there on the edge. There aren't many that can tackle Brad Smith one-on-one. And it's amazing to me. It's his third year of college football because he redshirted. But Brad's a sophomore and not a huge guy. You talked about deceptive speed earlier. He had deceptive strength, too. Yeah, I think so. I think you're you're spot on there. Um, you know, it's he was so um, so hard for people to bring down, and and that's that's the whole intent of the offense when the ball is in his hands to get him into open spaces because they just knew uh, from seeing what he did in practice every day that if you had one guy to bring him down, we were going to win that battle way more often than not. So. Um, that's why you'd see, you know, the design runs for Brad where, uh, you know, uh, it's kind of a delay and you let the, the blocking scheme kind of, um, get developed. And he was so good at following blocks too. He, he trusted, uh, the guys out there in front of him. Um, I thought he was really masterful at letting, um, plays develop and being patient. Um, he was a patient runner. I guess that's maybe what I'm trying to get to. He just, but again, then he he'd be so patient and just kind of waiting around, and then just he's gone. Uh, just the the instant quickness that he had, I, I don't think anybody could match that. I'm glad you mentioned the O line because I, I want to get to this. We should give some love to that offensive line. This is probably an, an underrated uh, O line in, in Mizzou football history. I'm put you on the spot here because I can't remember myself, and I even asked Chris Gervino at lunch yesterday, and, and he couldn't go with either. <laughs> Draggy, Palmer, mm-hmm. Ricker, Pathrath. Who is the fifth? Oh gosh! Oh, I'm gonna kill myself for not uh, remember. I'll I'll hopefully remember. Okay. Um, when we we'll, get back to it, you'll tweet about it. Okay. If if we if we sure, don't come up yeah. with it on the show, we'll get you a tweet about it. Hashtag, <laughs> hashtag miz history, and we'll get a conversation <laughs> going. Uh, here comes the defense again. I mean, Missouri's got this 10-point lead. The defense doesn't let up. I mean, they were they were really all over Nebraska at this point. Zach Ville, a defensive lineman, is dropping back in coverage and picks yeah. off a pass. Um, it's Nebraska's fifth turnover of the game. And, I mean, that really the, – the story of this game is probably, if you had to boil it down to two things, it's Gary Pinkle's guts, and I'm, I'm going to pull the trigger on these on these game-changing gadget plays. 
and Nebraska turning the ball over. Missouri just hounded them all night long. Yeah. Um, the defense was just flying around. And I, I kind of go back to uh, Gary's uh, speech to the team during the week is, you know, I don't know that he used the term pin your ear back and just get after it, but it was more just, hey, know the plan, trust the guy next to you, and just go play. Out, out hustle Nebraska, um, be more determined than them, um, you know, play fast and instinctively. And, you know, that's uh, that, that's it showed that night. Missouri takes advantage. Uh, Brad Smith goes right up the middle for his fourth and final touchdown of the day. And that gives us what will be our final score, 41-24. Uh, Brad has 303 yards of total offense in the game as he hits the end zone, diving forward in the middle of the field for that last touchdown. John Cadillac on the Tiger Radio Network exclaims, that's it. Now you can start the bus. <laughs> is this, is, and this became an iconic caddy call. This, this was, if you're listening to games from about here on, and Missouri finally puts that nail in the coffin uh, for a big win, this is what, what John Cadillac says. Is this the first, now you can start the bus? I think it might have been. Geez, I can't remember if that might have been the first time he he made that reference, but uh, yeah, that was definitely one of the things he liked to say when he knew. Okay, Tiger fans, celebrate! We we've won this one. Let's uh, let's be happy about it. Uh, to me, it was always a little bit of a dig at the other team. Now, as in, like, all right, boys, yeah, you go you start your that. bus. You're you're done. Get out of here. Sure. Uh, hey, hey, real quick, I I cheated while we were talking there, and I looked up the starting lineup for that game. So the offensive line, you had most of it right, Dreggy. Uh, Palmer and Ricker and then actually Steven Sanchez started at tackle oh, yeah. that game and Cliff Young was I can't remember if you mentioned Cliff but he was a uh, guard as well so that and and the other names you mentioned obviously are all a big part of it but uh, yeah that that uh, that was a starting lineup that night for the offensive line I had I had Paff Rap in there because I was watching the video and on the last right. On the, not the last touchdown on the, the Brad Smith stiff arm touchdown. He, right, he was in there, right. but yeah, good. He, he, he was essentially out. a starter and, you know, they, they just rotated guys in and out and there were basically six or seven guys that played a bulk of the minutes on the offensive line that year. Sanchez and young, good pull. That's, that's, that's why you're the best. Uh, Mizzou outscores Nebraska 27, nothing in the fourth quarter. And, and then here we go. We have to talk about this. Missouri wins. This is probably the last I think this is the last goalpost being torn down at Faro Field. Mike Mike got those the goalposts with the pins put in pretty quickly <laughs> right, <laughs> right. after this one. Um, but as fans are storming the field and the celebration is on, Nebraska player Kellen Houston sucker punches a Missouri fan who's running onto the field, lays him out. I remember this vividly because it happened right in front of me. I was mm. – Coming onto the field, I wasn't shooting. I turned the camera over. We were trying to get Brad, and Brad Smith and I are standing right next to each other. Brad's looking right at it. As you can see from the video, there was an Omaha television station, I think, who got it perfectly. And when you look at the video, and this is on YouTube also, Brad's looking right at it. I'm just off camera, and I see it out of the corner of my eye. And Brad turns to me and says, almost questionable as a question he just punched him right in the face and immediately after that we both turn and i believe there you are because craig sager needs to get brad live on the air and right. it becomes yeah this poor kid's laying on the field 
but we got live television to do. Did did you see it or were you because you were right there? But I, did you see it? I didn't see the actual punch uh, take place. Like you said, I was kind of chasing behind Brad, and you know, <laughs> uh, I, I knew how elusive he was just from my my times trying to catch him after games. But yeah, it, it was it stuck out with me. You know, if I, I hope I'm not embellishing, I think this is is how it happened, but. Um, and, and I didn't remember that you were right there. That, that's so that's so ironic. But uh, I just remember Brad, once he realized that I was there with him as there's, you know, mass chaos taking place, thousands of people rushing yeah. the field. It's a fun and it's an, an exhilarating thing to be part of. But it's also in the back of your mind, you know, OK, I got to be careful here because, you know, you could get out of control easily. And that, that's why they're, you know, uh, schools try so hard to keep people off the field because bad things can happen. But anyway, um this thing happened with the Nebraska player and the Mizzou fan. And all I know is it's the the most incredible thing here. We've done this. Uh, it, it's a historic moment. And the guy I'm trying to get on national TV just had the, 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 a watershed moment in his young career. And here he is concerned about this guy that he doesn't know. Um, you know, and he stopped. I seem to recall that he stopped wherever he was trying to get to and bent down to try to make sure this guy was okay. And I remember him turning back to me, maybe to you saying, Hey, what do we do here? We got to get this guy some help. And so uh, we were able to find a security person to take charge and kind of clear the space for the kid, help him up, make sure he was okay, get him some treatment, whatever it was. But that just always stuck out with me that um, I don't think a lot of people who had just won a game like that would have, a concern about that and, and it was genuine from brad it was just that's who he was he you know um and that's just one reason why um he was a guy that you were so proud to have represent the program that he would take time uh in that situation to uh to show that kind of concern i think he mentioned it in his post game also i feel yeah, like i, I think I, so i, feel like I, I believe so it. he was he was really worried about that kid and i i was yeah. too because he got laid out that was yep. rough yep. um he does the interview with Sager and drops the 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 great line. Uh, Craig asks him something to the effect of, uh, you know, how 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 huge is this? How important is this for the program? And Brad says, you know, he's not quite sure yet, but quote, it's the beginning of something big, and it certainly was. Uh, Missouri goes eight and four in the 2003 season. It's their first eight win season since 1998, and that included the uh, the bowl win. Uh, they go to their first bowl bowl game since that 1998 inside uh, bowl season. They lost to Arkansas in the Independence Bowl, but you can tell this thing is is headed in the right direction. Uh, Mizzou would go on to kind of have Nebraska's number uh, for the next few years. They win three out of the next five meetings, and that included another 41 to 24 win in 05 when Smith went off again for 246 rushing yards and and three touchdowns on the ground through for another one. And a lot of people really remember that one. Um, but uh, it was it was the second one. It, it was that was 05. Um, and I think, Chad, if if this is if my memory is correct, this is the the uh, Tiger Talk episode where GP finally had 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 enough hearing about gold pants. Because, <laughs> because, so so early. OK, this is uniform geek stuff, but early, early Gary Pinkle era. Mizzou keeps it real simple. They wear all black at home. They wear all white on the road mm. and they never wore gold pants. Uh, it was, it was a GP thing. And I still remember the tiger talk old school, still at Harpo's back in the day on Monday night, 
and a fa fans. I mean, this is just like a wedding receiving line kind of thing for GP. It's just it's a line of people calling and telling him it's the greatest night of their life over and over and over again. It's it's a fun it's a fun deal. And finally, somebody calls in and is oh, coach greatest whenever I was there with my my dad and my son and every you, you've, you've done it. You've turned it around. Thank you so much. You ended the 25 year losing streak. But when are we going to see some gold pants? And GP just goes, <laughs> enough. <laughs> Nobody asked me about gold pants again. They finally broke them out, I think. And it might maybe for that Nebraska game in 05. It, they definitely did. And I can't remember if that was the first game or not, but I know exactly what you're talking about and, and, and get a chuckle out of it because, yeah, he just – he never understood people's obsession um, with – with the laundry that you had on your, on your body when you were playing a football game. But um, he, you know, he took it seriously though, certainly. And, and uh, wanted to try to do uh, exciting things that actually play into the recruiting side of the house. You know, you, you want to wear uniforms that are catchy, that show well on TV, that pop, that, that get young kids excited, um, you know, do gold pants, make the difference in where a kid chooses to go to school or not. You'd like to think not, but you know, it's a small part of it. And actually, uh, one of the lead people for Gold Pants is a, a mutual friend of ours, John Anderson from ESPN. Oh, yeah. He would bug Gary to no end every <laughs> year. Hey, coach, great to see you. You know, thanks for having me here. Great win, you know, whatever. He'd come into practice sometimes, too, usually for homecoming. His first question would always be Gold Pants. And Gary would just, he, <laughs> he knew it was coming. Um, and he just kind of placated him. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll we'll see about that. And yeah, you know, eventually they they broke it out. And I I do love that combination. I think it's such a a classic Mizzou look with the gold top and the and the uh, or the black top and the gold pants. All right. So if you hear this, John, it's you, you're the one that that finally broke Gary. And uh, <laughs> we'll give him credit anyway. You you and you and Brad Smith, six and one, half a dozen of the other. Yeah. Uh, all right. Put a bow on it. Nebraska, of course, left the Big 12 uh, for the Big 10 after the 2010 season. Mizzou would follow suit a year later. The The last meeting between the two rivals uh, happened in 2010. Nebraska won it 31-17 uh, in Lincoln. I feel strongly that the most money in college football being left on the table is an annual Mizzou-Nebraska football game at Arrowhead Stadium to kick off the season. That seems like a no-brainer to me. It's never happened. Obviously, you have to have the Chiefs involved, but um chad final thought 2003 this is probably one of the most important maybe top five win in the gary pinkle era yeah is it the biggest win ever under gp no certainly not um and you could even point back to 2002 a win at texas a&m on the road in overtime it was late in that season uh a week after a&m had upset uh, at home, so the same field, number one Oklahoma, I believe, uh, and we had just lost an overtime game to Colorado uh, again in 2002, and then you go the very next week to a team that just beat number one in their house. Um, so that that was a big win. I think that was an important stepping stone, and this one was bigger. Uh, it, it, again, it, it showed that that this program was solid. It was making progress. It could compete. Uh, and I don't think there's any question that it's it's a very, very important uh, win. You know, I, I don't know if you don't get this one against Nebraska, who knows what happens the rest of the way. But I think it was a very uh, key part of building that program. And it, it showed people, hey, we're, you know, this can work. Give it time. As Brad said on the uh, 
TBS telecast that night. It's the beginning of something big. It certainly was. We hope that's the same thing for this show. Hey, you know what? <laughs> we just, Chad and I are just, we, you know, I had an idea. He's game. We're going to do this. Throw it out there. Let us know what you think. I'm at Ben Arnett, KOMU on Twitter. Chad, I know you're on Twitter too. Where, yes, what, what, at, where uh, at ChadMo1, the number one, C-H-A-D-M-O-1. Hit us with your comments, your thoughts, hashtag M-I-Z history. And uh, hey, if you want more, we'll give you more. We'll figure out a way to make it work. There's no shortage of topics over the course of Chad's run at Mizzou Athletics and, and my run at Mizzou Athletics, and, and we can get all, all into it. But I think this was a good one. And Chad, uh, appreciate uh, appreciate your time and your willingness to do this, and hopefully we'll do it some more. Yeah, thanks, Ben. It was a lot of fun. I hope people enjoy it. All right. We'll see you next time, we assume, on MIZ History. <laughs>